Some people think that the goal of Christianity is to get you into heaven after you die. Actually, the goal is to get heaven into you before you die. That's the goal. It really is. The goal is about living the life of heaven while you're still on earth so that you'll know what to do when you get to the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what the preacher is doing with his words that you just heard from Sister Brenda in Hebrews chapter 11. That's what's going on here. The preacher to the Hebrews is inviting the congregation and inviting us to God's land right now. Right now. In Hebrews 11, the preacher is is opening the doors and inviting this Hebrew congregation to live the life of heaven while still on earth. Opening the doors and inviting us to step through the portal of Scripture into the reality of persevering faith. That's the kind of faith that we're listening to here. Persevering faith, not easy faith, but gritty faith. Faith that helps you persevere the worst this world can bring. Faith that pushes you to persevere through the pressures of your job with poise. With poise. Faith that perseveres your worst health crisis imaginable. Faith that helps you stand at your child's grave. Or your husband's grave. Or your wife's grave. Faith that fearlessly perseveres the shadow valley of death only to escort you into the presence of God's banquet table where He has for you a cup that overflows for all eternity. That's the offer. That's what we're being invited into in Hebrews chapter 11. These names that we heard here are not just uh, names that the preacher showcases from the Old Testament as if to say, wow, don't you wish you had that life too? No, 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 that's not what's going on here. What's going on is a preacher who loves this church. And that preacher wants to encourage that church. And that preacher therefore says, you belong with these people. These are your people. In fact, in fact, in fact, did you get what Brenda said in Hebrews chapter 11? Oh, we, 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 we read it by so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Don't you see what the preacher is saying there? So, so the witnesses that we heard in Hebrews 11... They need our persevering faith to somehow mysteriously complete their persevering faith to the glory of God the Father in Christ. That's what's going on here. That's the offer here. These people show us the possibilities of fixing our eyes on Christ for the purpose of persevering faith. And the promise is that the persevering faith that God promised them is what he promises us too. You believe that? I should be hearing an amen now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. The, the, the promise 
of their persevering faith is also a promise for us too. And to, and to help us, to help us more and more, we consider the case study of Enoch. Enoch. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6, where Enoch is showcased among these brothers and sisters of persevering faith, our ancestors of persevering faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This word of the Lord. So I have two questions for us this morning. It's a two-part outline, and the outline comes straight from the text itself, verses 5 and 6. Part 1, question 1, who was Enoch? Who's Enoch? Right? When did he live? What, and what's this business about being taken up? Let's, let's, let's discover that today here. That's question number one. And then question number two is simply, what's the lesson for us? What's the lesson for us? What's the big idea that we need to learn here today in our life now? Who's Enoch and what's the lesson for us? That's where we're going today. Let's talk about question number one here. Who was Enoch? Well, you have to take your Bibles and go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Turn there if you would. Genesis. Genesis. Now, Enoch appears in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. Before I read those verses, let me give you a little bit of context here with what's going on. In Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis 1 and 2, our Creator Father God made all that is seen and unseen perfect in every way. God made the man and the woman, placed them in the garden temple of Eden as His royal priests and representatives, and God said, it's very good. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3. The, the perfect world God made was broken by sin. God's royal priests, Adam and Eve, created by God in His image, rebelled against God, and they were banished from Eden and sentenced to die. That's Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4 is the tragedy of their two sons, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. The tragedy of Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve lost both of their sons, when you think about it. In death, in death, Abel, who was murdered by his brother, Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground for justice. And Cain, the murderer, became a fugitive and a wanderer. That's what Genesis says. So... Since they lost both sons, didn't they? Yeah. Incidentally, when you look at Genesis chapter 4, you'll note that Cain had a firstborn son, and his name was Enoch. Okay? His name was Enoch. Maybe you, you caught that already. All right? That's not the Enoch of Hebrews 11. Need you to know that. Okay? The Enoch of Hebrews 11 shows up in chapter 5, which is where we are right now. 
Chapter 5 is an obituary column. That's chapter 5. That's what it is. And we see names of patriarchs. And there's a, there's a very, very interesting uh, formula. Actually, the, 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 the chapter is a confirmation of God's promise of the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And so God's promise is being confirmed here in chapter 5. And, and there's this formula that's going on that describes uh, uh, the, the life and the death of each of these patriarchs, and it's framed in a way to highlight Enoch. It's framed in a way to highlight Enoch. Stay with me now, stay with me now. And the formula sounds like this. Uh, So-and-so lived so many years and then fathered a son. Like, look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Seth, okay? That's after Cain and Abel. This is chapter 5. This is Seth, all right? So, so so-and-so, so-and-so lived and... and, uh, uh, so many years, father to son. Then so-and-so had other children. See that? And thus all the days of so-and-so were X many years. Okay? And that's the formula that you see. A name after name after name after name. And, and, and you know, uh, and I, I get what I'm about to say, too, because, um, because I'm curious like you. Uh, but we're often more curious in trying to figure out how it was these people were able to live that long. Okay, all right, and, and for right now, I just need you to let these verses stand. Just let them stand, okay, just let them stand. What we must not overlook, which is what the author, Moses, does not want us to overlook, is the most repeated phrase in chapter 5. Do you see it? Are you looking at it? What's the most repeated phrase in chapter 5? And he died that's right that's right that's the most that's that's really what the author wants us to to get so and so lived so many years father to son had other sons and daughters and all his days were blah 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 and he died that's verse 5 that's verse 8 that's verse 11 that's verse 14 that's verse 17 and then we come to Enoch 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 and then there's something different look look verse 21 when Enoch had lived 65 years, so far so good. He fathered Methuselah, so far so good. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. What's missing? There's no and he died. There's no and he died. Man, there's life in the morgue, church. You believe that? There's life in the morgue. Enoch stands out. There's hope. God hasn't given up. Someone different was born here. Someone found life amid the curse of death. Others may have lived, 
But Enoch walked. Yeah, he walked with God. Walked with God. Circle that word walk. That walk also shows up in Genesis, back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Remember? Genesis 3, 8 says, The Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's evening. So, so, so our pre-fall relationship with God was one where we, that is the man and the woman, ruled as royal priests over creation as God's representatives. And each evening, each evening, can you just put yourself there for a minute in Eden? Each evening after this perfect day, no sin, no Satan, we would enjoy the Lord as we walked with him. Oh Lord, here is how our day went. Here is what we learned. Here is what we did. Here is what we discovered. Here is what we built. Oh Lord, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim claim the work of your hands day after day they pour forth speech oh god it's so good to walk with you you and i were made to walk with god church that's why we've been created we've been created to walk with god and genesis 5 21 says that enoch began to walk with god after his son Methuselah was born. Did you notice that? Enoch was 65. When his son arrived, then he walked with God. Our children can do that, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. They have the power to awaken spiritually sleepy parents, right? We hold our babies and we wonder, how is she going to make it in this world? What's his future going to be like? And then suddenly the light bulb comes on. That we, as parents, have more firepower to influence that child than anyone else. And then we figure out that we can't teach what we don't know. And we can't lead where we haven't gone. And maybe that was when Enoch started getting serious about God. Maybe that was when he realized that that's what he needed to do. He needed to, as chapter 4, verse 26 said, call upon the name of the Lord. And I think that's what he did. He began to walk with God. Are you walking with God today? Walking with God means walking on the same path as God, at the same pace as God, and toward the same place as God. That's what it means to walk with God. Same path, same pace, same place. Same path, same path. When you're walking with Him, you're walking with Him, not the other way around. So, you know, so it means that God decides the directions, not you. Some of us wish God would walk with us. Lord, this is where I want to go, and I kind of need your assistance. God says, I've got a better path. Okay. Enoch had to learn what God's path was. 
And he had to discover God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. He had to track where God was going. To walk with God is to bring his viewpoint to bear on the steps that you take in your life. That's what it means. It means that God is the primary person in all of your decision making. It means he drives your thought processes. He doesn't just get scheduled on your calendar. He influences the entirety of your calendar. Walking with God means aligning your heart and soul and mind under his rule as you cultivate an intimate relationship with him. So Enoch did not merely walk before God as if God sat and observed from the stands. No, no, no. He was walking with God, which meant God was walking too. And so when God moves, Enoch moved. And when God stopped, Enoch stopped. See, because God's in charge. That's what it means. Pastor Tony Evans once said, if God is not influencing the steps of your movement, except on Sundays or a few other times you allot for him, then you're not walking with the Spirit. Instead, you're visiting the Spirit. And visiting the Spirit is not walking with the Spirit. So, 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 so to walk in the rain is to experience the effects of the rain. And to walk with God is to experience the effects of God. So it means to include God in all aspects of our lives. Every decision, every thought, every dream. To walk with God is an all-encompassing experience. That's what it is. On the same path. Going the same pace. Going the same pace. Sometimes that means keeping up with him. Many times it means not getting ahead of him. Because it's a walk, not a race. See, It's a 300-year walk. A lifetime walk. Anybody can sprint for a short time. But if you want to go the distance, you've you got to know how to walk. Okay? And isn't, what, isn't that what we need today? Isn't that what we're looking for? You know, we're not looking for leaders that are personalities that make a flash in the pan. Not shooting stars who attract more by their passing brilliance than by their substance. And too many, too many believers, too many pastors, frankly, get caught up in the quicker, further, fatter, faster, technique-based approach to, to, to spiritual growth. And Enoch did not know that. <laughs> you know what his technique was? You know what Enoch's technique was? Huh? Here it is. Left, right. Left, right, left, right, left, right. That's it. That's it. What's Enoch doing today? Same thing as he did last month. Same thing as he did last year. Same thing as he did last century. Left, right, left, right. It's a walk. You're walking with God. A walk that speaks to the consistency and reliability over the long term. That's what it means. And, and, and walking with God is no walk in the park. Because Enoch did not live in Pleasantville. No. He, he lived with the same kinds of people that you and I live with. His world was sinful, broken, fallen. Our world is sinful, broken, fallen. He heard the same kinds of profanities that you and I hear. The same innuendos. The same temptations. Yet he made up his mind that God's path at God's pace towards God's place was better. And he did that for 300 years. 300 years. Enoch 
walked with God. And oh, he had other children too. The text tells us that he had other children too. So Enoch was no desert mystic. Okay? He was a dad. He had a job. He had mouths to feed. had diapers to change. He was responsible for his family. And yet, yet here in his godless culture, here was someone who stood out. And here was someone who spoke out. Spoke out. Now in the New Testament, book of Jude, Jude quotes Enoch. Jude verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's Enoch, Enoch the prophet. So Enoch, pro- Enoch prophesied about the second coming of Christ before his first coming. And, and, and again, let, let's just, let's focus on just the words of his prophecy. Four times the word ungodly shows up. Meaning at the coming of the Lord, at the coming of the Lord, there's going to come a time when all that is ungodly will become undone. It's not going to hold together. So the Lord's coming, the Lord's arrival, will be the undoing of ungodliness and the establishment of justice. That's what's going to happen. And beloved, we should long for that day. We should want that day. And until then, we should lament injustice on earth, wherever it is found, wherever it is found, whether whether Russia upon Ukraine or in Memphis, we should. We need to. We must lament. We should be lamenting the killing of Tyree Nichols. We should be lamenting the public officials who abuse their authority to harm rather than protect the people they're supposed to serve. Tyree Nichols was a human being made in the image of God. And to take his life not only robs his family of their loved one, but it's an assault on the Creator. And that this violence was carried out by those entrusted with maintaining justice just perverts the situation even more. Oh, Lord Jesus, come! Come. And he will. Because prior to Hebrews 11, did we not read yet in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. He won't delay. So God, we we lament, and God, we pray, give us patience and give us perseverance to walk as Enoch walked until you come. Mm. Yeah, for 300 years, Enoch walked patiently. How do you do that? How do we do that? And oh, this is where we get the question number two. This is where it gets personal for us. He did it. By faith, by faith, by faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, and, and, and the scripture says, and God commended him. That is, that is, God testified on Enoch's behalf as if to say, Enoch did it. It can be done. 
I saw it, God says. I saw it. If, listen, if you want to walk with God as Enoch walked with God, you have to have faith in God. You have to have faith with God. To, to walk with God like Enoch, same path, same pace, same place, you've got to have faith. It is non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Verse 1, the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So there is an objective dimension to faith. Faith rests on something real, ultimately real, that gives me a subjective sense of, of conviction and, and certainty and confidence. And that's how the people of old received their commendation. See, so, so faith doesn't depend on what you are like. Faith depends on what God is like. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, the Lord is just absolutely clear about this. The text does not say that Enoch thought about God or speculated about God or read, he didn't read about God or talk about God and thereby, thereby gained favor with God. No, Enoch believed, and that's what pleased God. For who would, who, whoever would draw near to God, draw me close to you. Did we not just sing that? Whoever would draw near to God. Recall, recall Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith. So who would ever draw near to God must meet two conditions. Do you see that in the text? Do you see that in verse 6? Look. You must believe that he exists. That is, that is that you must believe that God is ultimately real. And that, that the fact of his ultimate reality impacts the way I live my life. See? We're not talking about being a practical, we're not talking about being practical atheists. Where, you know, where we're, or we might just live like, uh, you know, we might just say with our mouths that God is real, but we just kind of live like he doesn't. Know that God is ultimately real and that, that his world is more real than the world that we can experience in the here and now. And that because this is true, because this is true, you can enter God's presence by faith in Jesus Christ, our great high priest, because he is the one who makes it possible for us to be with him wherever we are. Wherever we are, so you're in the waiting room of your doctor's office and you're bracing for difficult news, now is the time to draw near to God by faith in the holy of holy places. Lord, I need your help right now. You're about to have a difficult conversation with your teenage student and man you're going to walk down that hall and you don't know what's going to happen at the very end because it's yet another conversation and another walk around down the hall again and you just need some wisdom and so before you enter your child's room you enter into the room of the holy of holy place and you say god i just need your wisdom i love my son i just need your wisdom how how, how can i shepherd this child who belongs to you your neighbor just came home from a funeral where he buried his wife and you want to reach out, but I don't know how. I don't know how, Lord. How do I minister to this neighbor? I don't even know what I'm going to say. You push the doorbell. I don't know what to say. And yet that porch becomes a holy place for you to commune with God before this ministry opportunity. 
You see what I'm saying? You don't need to go to a temple or other religious facility. You don't need to offer an animal sacrifice. You don't need to deal with various washings and regulations about food or drink. You just need to walk into the presence of God, ultimate reality. By faith, we draw near to God, who is ultimate reality. We must believe that he exists. That's the first stipulation. You see it there. And then the second stipulation is this, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Yeah, praise the Lord. It means to believe that to the core of our being that God has the goods. God has the goods. The, the word literally, the word literally is paymaster. Paymaster, isn't that interesting? Not in the sense that we receive our pay from him, or we earn pay, that is. That's not in that sense. But in the sense that he's the supplier. That's what we mean. He's the, he's the resourcer. See, it's, it's what St. Paul said uh, to the Athenians in Acts 17, 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see? That's what, that's what that, those two verses interpret what the Hebrew preacher says, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it means, it means, listen, that we no longer need to go anywhere else to receive what only the Lord can give. What reward are you seeking today from paymasters who cannot fulfill your order? We could just preach another sermon right on that, couldn't we? Yeah. And against these bankrupt paymasters is the Supreme Lord God Almighty who, who, who gives this invitation in Isaiah 55. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and, and he who has no money Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love. For David, you see, that's the invitation. That's the invitation of faith. You, 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 you may say, how, how can you buy if you don't have money? Here's, here's how you can do that. You use God's only currency that he recognizes. Faith. Faith. The only currency of the kingdom is faith in God, the real God, the rewarding God. Enoch had it. The preacher wants us to have it. Uh, yeah. I read about a little boy who was trying to talk about Enoch's life in his own words. 
he said that God and Enoch were really good friends, and they often took long walks together, and they would just talk and talk and talk, and then they would just lose all track of time, and one day they were out walking, and they walked and walked, and they talked and talked, and all of a sudden, Enoch looked up and said, God, it's getting late. I, I'd better head home. And that's when God said, you know, Enoch, I think we're closer to my house tonight than we are yours. Why don't you come home with me? And the Bible says God took him. God took him. Some of your translations say God translated him. That's an old, old word that means to, to, to be carried over or carried across. Across what? Across death. Death is a river that divides this life from the life to come. And Enoch was one who never went through that river at all. When he got to the point there, God just scooped him up and carried him over and put him on the other side. And Enoch, who had once walked by faith, now walked by sight. Imagine that. Yeah. Church family, Sometimes God takes us through, through the river of death, tragically, like Abel. And other times, you know, it just feels like God carries us blissfully over the river of death, like Enoch. But either way, God's with us. He's with us. And both Abel and Enoch point us to Jesus Christ where we must fix our eyes. And when we do, we are reminded with the Apostle Paul that we shall not all sleep, we shall be changed. And just as Enoch was translated to heaven without seeing death, so also is the promise that those of the Lord's people who remain on earth Till the time of his coming, a coming prophesied by Enoch himself, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And my prayer is that until that day, we find ourselves walking with God by means of persevering faith. Same path, same pace, same place. Amen? And so we shall be with the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. God in heaven, thank you for your goodness and mercy.